to Cinema Chat with David Heath. And I am your humble host, uh, David Heath. This is the podcast where we talk about movies from every generation and just about every genre. And we try to find uh, good guests sometimes. And today we have a good one uh, to talk to us about a good film. So, uh, yeah, today we are going to be talking about a film from 1953, a film noir, and it is unique uh, in some ways. It's it's unique and, uh, for noir, and we'll get into what, why that is uh, later, but um, I, I have a guest on that here. I'm going to be talking with uh, Andy Wolverton. Andy is a film expert. He's a, he's a noir um uh, Shall I just say, call you a noir geek? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the noir, uh, noir, noir fan and expert. How about that? Um, and uh, I, uh, I was able to stumble across a couple of uh, podcast episodes that uh, Andy was on, and I thought I gotta get this guy on my show. And that was actually two years ago. Um, and you know, it just uh, wow. sometimes you just get around. You just have all these subjects and my subject list if, if any if, if you in case anybody wants to know is is like three miles long and sometimes it's just like i get to things and and i i pick the low-lying fruit and and it's sometimes it's harder to get people that you've never talked to before to come on and uh, but finally i said oh, okay i gotta talk to andy wolverton and uh, get him on my show uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the film The Hitchhiker here in a few minutes. Uh, but I found you also your website, AndyWolverton.com. Um, you've written a few books. Uh, uh, tell tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into the movie. Okay, yeah, I'd be glad. And first of all, thank you so much for having me on today. Um, I've been I've been looking forward to this ever since we, we chatted through email. Uh, I do have to say that I do not consider myself an expert. Uh, like you said, I'm more of a fan, and I'm learning this stuff all the time. And uh, I learn especially when I, I present movies in front of the library. At the library, we do a uh, live uh, presentation, and then we show the movie, and then we have a discussion afterwards. Uh, I'm taking a break from that right now, but I'm still doing this online virtually. We have a program that that meets via Zoom, anybody in the world can join us. And we do that once, uh, usually the first Friday of the month, and we've had some great special guest stars. Uh, we've had Eddie Muller, Alan K. Rohde, I mentioned Sarah Smith, uh, many, many other people. But for me, this is such a great experience because I'm learning things from people in the audience that I didn't know before. You know, They're showing me things that they saw in the film that I didn't see. So for me, it's constantly a learning experience, but that's that's really exciting, and, and hearing what other people think about films. Right, and and I I think that um, there is nothing. Uh, well, I'm not gonna say nothing, but there are a few things that are as satisfying as turning someone on to a, a classic film that they hadn't been aware of, or, or even better, turning them on to classic film in general uh, from somebody. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm really careful. I, I know my, my, uh, audience sometimes as far as not my podcast audience, but my audience of people that I hang out with from time to time. And I'm very careful about showing them certain movies, you know, okay, we can watch uh duck soup or we can watch uh way out West or we, or we can watch double indemnity. Uh, you know, we can watch these, uh, unbelievable films that are just fantastic and just kind of use that as the gateway to get people in. Uh, one of my favorite stories, uh, uh, Andy, that I've told a couple times is when, when one of my friends that I've grown up with all my life, uh, I, I graduated, uh, in 1989 from high school. He graduated in 88 at the same school. Uh, we've been to school since I, since I was in kindergarten. And so we knew each other all, we know each other all our lives. He told me that he watched Gilda just because of my show, and I was like, "Oh, that's awesome! I love it." That is. That's uh, great. I, and, and and does anything warm the heart more than that? Because you you've turned someone on to something that 
is is great. And even if they just go uh, the, the small extent, even if they're still watching their Marvel movies and all that stuff, uh, that's okay. It would just, you know, mix it up a little bit and throw a classic film in there uh, here and there. Uh, but, um, yeah, and uh, I really appreciate you coming on, and I, too, have been looking forward to it. And I, my only regret, Andy, is that I didn't get hold of you a little sooner, um, you know, but um, I <clears throat> technically I didn't have you on my list. I, I had you. I had your website saved, and I think it's been saved on my phone for about two years in one of the windows, <laughs> and, and and I yeah, and I kept meaning to get a hold of you, and uh, uh, but it seems like I was always doing something, and whenever I I noticed it on there, uh, so we're gonna talk about the Hitchhiker, uh, which is a film that is uh, unique, and as I said, more than one way, and I and I I struggle with the word unique because a lot of people say unique and say. When they when they're what they're saying, a lot of times is uh, they're saying, well, there's not a lot like it. No, unique means there's nothing like it. And and this particular uh, film, there's nothing like it in the sense that uh, Ida Lupino, a female, directed this uh, noir, and she was the only female director that had done it at the time, and remained that way, um, you know, forever. To the only female director, really, of her time. And so, uh, before we jump into too much, uh, uh, you know, I'd like to showcase uh, a little bit of Ida Pino. What do you know about Ida Pino and how she got into directing? So that's a great question, and you are absolutely right in that, as far as women directors go, she was really the only thing happening there during that time. You had Dorothy, Dorothy Arsner before that, that I think she ended like in 19, well, she had a really long career, 1927 to 1943, a pretty long career right. before that. But, but Lupino really was, as you said, that she is a unique person and this is a unique film. She was born in England and her ancestry goes way back into the theater. So she really came from a family of actors. And so that was a natural thing for her. And of course, when, when she was in Hollywood, she made several films uh, that you can go back and look at. Uh, she's very good. She's a very good actor. But she got involved with with filmmaking. Uh, I mean, she, I think for a long time she wanted to form a company with her husband at the time, Collier Young. Right. And eventually they did call the filmmakers. But the first, maybe not the first film, but she was working on a film called Not Wanted from 1949. It was about an unwed mother, played by Sally Forrest. And this was really groundbreaking at the time. Now, Lupino was the co-writer and the co-producer of the film. But when the director, Elmer Clifton, suffered a heart attack just days into the shooting, Lupino took over as the director and uncredited. And that was really the jumping off point for her because she found that she was really good at it. She had a good eye for it. And she really knew how to work very well with the cast and crew. And that's not an easy thing for a woman. And especially when we talk about the hitchhiker, uh, there are no women in the film except a young girl, uh, maybe an older lady, but it's all men. The crew of that film was all men. So here's Lupino, the only woman on the set or in the cast that's putting this film together. So uh, it's really, really tremendous. She has a, a vision that, at the time, we again, we didn't see many filmmakers that were women at that time, but she was able to, to do that. She was able to get her, her points across. She was able to produce good films. Um, the thing about her is she wanted to tackle subjects that Hollywood was not interested in. Things like unwed mothers, polio, rape, uh, those types of things, bigamy. Hollywood just did not want to tackle those things at all, and she was unafraid to go there. And she went there, and she did it well. Um, a lot of times she didn't have the budget of a big studio, but she got it done, and the, the result is really astounding. So, and I like, I like what you said about uh, taking audiences that are used to, like maybe modern films or superhero films, and when we show them these older films, we really have to remind them that we're a visitor here. 
this film was made at a certain time and we're just visiting. It's, it's really tough for younger audiences to, to, to say, well, I want to bring my 21st century thought into this movie. Well, you can't do that um, because you're, you're doing it on the film's terms. So we, that's something that I go through a lot when I'm talking through my library film discussions and, and presentations. But again, we, this is part of that. We have to put ourselves into the time to realize that there were no other women filmmakers out there and what a tremendous thing this was for Ida Lupino. Absolutely, yeah. And I love how you put that where you say we're visitors here. And, and we, yeah, we have so many people that, um, that, and, you know, we're not going to turn it into some other conversation, but, but we have so many people that, that want to take a film and dissect it as if, uh, we have the, uh, the, the technic, technical aspects, uh, or the technical abilities, I should say technical abilities, and also the, the mores uh, uh, that, that we have now, that we had at the time. A lot of, um, a lot of mores have changed, and, and, and some people cannot get their head wrapped around that fact. And, and yeah, it's usually people uh, that are under 40 or so that, that just haven't been able to, to, to grasp it. You know, you, you hear the term, well, that hasn't aged well. It's usually... <laughs> A young person that says that it's usually a young person that says that and and yeah, yeah you watch a movie and, you, and you're sitting there looking and you can tell that hey you know i can tell that's a body double or i can see that's a fake background um you know but you know we're <laughs> we're talking about people that that had limited sometimes very limited budgets but but they had limited resources in general to make a great film not not everybody could be Wizard of Oz Gone with the Wind, and 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 it wasn't for really, uh, you know, almost two decades before they could uh, make films that looked that pretty again, you know. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, the, I'd say the John Wayne films of the fifties, uh, where you see the big blue sky, uh, you know, at uh, Monument Valley, those could those not very many movies like that either at that time. It uh, but. But it took a long time, so if people would 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 understand that that would that would be just just fantastic. Uh, but she directed Ida Pino directed um, three uh, talented actors, uh, two of which were uh, had you know very good resumes uh, in uh, on their uh, um, to their name. Uh, we have Ed, Edmund O'Brien who who uh, plays Roy and and Frank Lovejoy plays Gilbert and. And William Talman, who plays uh, Emmett Myers, the uh, the criminal, the the murderer, and and um, and I, one of the things I wanted to get with you on is uh, the 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 film um, honors the code, the Hayes Code, production code, by they're not showing the woman that they're not showing the woman being murdered. They just you just hear the woman screaming and falling out of the car and. And, and and as is with the other films, that you know, Ida Pino is tackling these subjects that are basically taboo subjects, but she's still within the the confines of the William Hayes Code, which is really um, another amazing thing to her credit. Um, and and you're right, nobody wanted to tackle these, um, and and it's amazing that you know that yeah, she's directing all these men. She in the, in this particular case. She she's got to she's got to show you just how vicious this man is, and you don't see anybody die in the in the beginning, but you do see um, a, a, you you hear a woman screaming and you know what he did, and you don't have to actually see it. And she went within the code. I I, I credit her to that too. It's just amazing. And there were uh, one more thing about the 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 female director aspect of it is yeah, there were a lot of silent film. Uh, films that were directed by by females, Mary Pickford in particular directed a lot of movies. Uh, Mabel Norman directed a couple of films of her own films, and I, you know, what what do you think that is as to why uh, Hollywood was all about the women in the nineteen teens and early twenties, and and it, and it evolved into this. Uh, well, now we're into real big, you know, uh, we're into big productions now, so we can't allow, you know, females to be a, 
uh, at the helm of these kind of projects. Is, is that you think that's what was happening, or what? What do you think was happening? Just your opinion. I got a good uh, a good friend I was talking with about these things. Another uh, person that introduces movies around here, my friend uh, Ann Glenn is her name. She's in Annapolis, Maryland, and I'm mm -hmm. not too far from Annapolis myself. We were having a good conversation about this very thing because we were talking about this film, and that subject came up because there were, as you mentioned, many women directors in the silent era. Uh, the ones you mentioned, also Lois Weber. Right. Um, and, and, and others. And my friend Ann has the idea, and I think she's probably right, that when the studios started seeing how much money there was to be made in films, because we're talking early silent, you know, things are taking a while before a lot of audiences are going in to see these films. Uh, they're moving from the Nickelodeon into the theaters where people are paying money. I think the guys in the front offices, even then the front offices weren't huge, but they realized there's a lot of money changing hands here. And maybe we want to have men in charge of this because, as they probably thought, men understand finances, men understand getting things done. A totally wrong way to think about it, but that's probably the way they were thinking. Because after the silent era, we saw very few women directors. Yeah, it's just it's just such an oddity, and uh, yeah, I think it's like one of those things. Isn't that cute? She directed this movie, you know, in the silent film uh, film era. Isn't that cute? You know, Max Sennett let Marable Norman direct the movie. Ah ha ha, that's funny. Um, you know, but it became like uh, something that. Well, now that the there's huge stakes involved, uh, you know, they're putting a million dollars in a movie, um, you know, here and there, five hundred thousand dollars in a film that when when that was a lot of money. And they're thinking, well, Aliana, I think you're absolutely right. I think you hit the head on the head. Um, uh, now, uh, t talking about the film itself, um, the opening title card is um, uh, it's, it's kind of. Uh, would you do you find it to be a little uh, eerie? The what uh, what the opening title card has to say. Uh, and I'll I'll read it for the people that. Uh, okay, great. Yeah, it, it says this is the true story of a man and a gun and a car. The, the gun belonged to the man, the man, or the, excuse me, the car might have been yours or that young couple across the aisle. What you will see in the next 70 minutes would have happened, could have happened to you, for the fact, facts are actual. Um, you know, what do you, what do you make of that? I think it's a good way to hook the audience for one thing, and the story behind this, and you, as you may know about this, the story behind this film is just as interesting as the film itself because the character that William Tallman is playing, Emmett Myers, is based on a real person named Billy Cook. Right. Now, the interesting thing about it was he was very much still in the news because at this point, Cook had been arrested and interviewed and incarcerated. But Ida Lupino needed his permission to get that story. Well, first of all, the production code did not want her to make this film about someone who was still alive and was a criminal like him. So you had the production code against it. The Department of Justice was against it. They didn't want it to happen. They were saying, you know, the filmmakers, Ida Lupino and Collier Young, are meddling in a criminal case. Even though the case was already closed, they didn't want any of this stuff to happen. But Lupino actually visited San Quentin to interview Billy Cook, uh, which was unheard of. I mean, you talk about a right. woman being, <laughs> you know, being intimidated by working on a crew with all men. How about going to San Quentin and talking to Billy Cook? So she had to pay $3,000 to Cook's lawyer to exclude surprise for Cook's story. And she, she mentioned that Cook was just as terrifying as William Tallman plays him. He was aloof, he was cold, he had hard luck tattooed on his fingers, and the deformed eyelid was real. It was a real thing, and it creeped her out. And Lupino said, quote, I could not wait to get the hell out of seeing Quentin. <laughs> but again, the production code, Department of Justice, they were all saying, look, you're violating Cook's civil rights, uh, they accused Lupino of glorifying criminal behavior. They did not want this movie to be made. But Lupino fought back. 
and she made some changes and she found it um, a little bit easier to deal with the, actually the Department of Justice than it was most picture association. But she was able to get those things done. Uh, she sneaked in a lot of things that, that people would have known about because, this, again, this is a hot story. People knew who Billy Cook was generally. Uh, in the opening scene where uh, we were talking about that uh, Cook shoots a dog off screen mm -hmm. at a gas station because he's barking so much. Right. Um, of course, they didn't show that, but actually it's creepier because they didn't show it. That really happened. There's also a scene uh, depicting a mine shaft um, near the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. They didn't show that Cook had actually thrown a family down the mine shaft. So there were a lot of things in there that were true to life that Lupino had to cover up. And, of course, obviously she had to change his name. So uh, I think a lot of people went to the theaters knowing that this was based on a true story, even though the name was changed and the methods in some of the cases were, were shifted around. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's, an, it's an amazing story. And, I, and it, it, it tests, it's one more testament to... The bravery of Ida Lupino. She just absolutely, uh, what an incredible woman she was. It just, I, I, I'm, I'm astonished. And I, I knew she was a very talented woman. Um, Eddie Muller, uh, in the, uh, in the introduction, which, uh, by the way, Eddie Muller's been on, on this podcast too. Um, uh, and, uh, and I had a really wonderful time uh, talking with him, uh, but, uh, when, about another noir, but, uh, he said in his introduction uh, of the film a couple of years ago, and he said that, that um, okay, but yeah, Eddie Muller, he, uh, he introduced, uh, introduced the film, and he called Ida Lupino the, the most versatile, uh, I think he said personality in Hollywood, and I, and if I remember right, he might even say Hollywood history, and I, and, and that might be true. I mean, she played, every kind of, of female role on the screen and she obviously could direct and write and uh, she went on to uh, direct uh, a few uh, modern tv shows and and uh, she directed all the way into the deep into the 60s feature films but uh, anyway it's just a, what a yeah what an incredible uh, feat that she accomplished by by putting all this together and staying within the confines of the of that of the William Hayes code and and not making everybody upset when the end product came out and so that that was good well uh what we what we ought to do is talk a little bit about uh, the film uh there are a lot of people listening to this that probably haven't seen it so I don't want to give away uh too much uh but maybe just talk about the few first uh, few moments of the film and and then maybe talk a little bit about the direction and 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 the other aspects of uh, of the film that were that worked really well, and you know so we find out first uh, after this title card um, that you explained really well, uh, we find out that that Emmett Myers is indeed a cold blooded killer. He doesn't care, um, you know. He's just going to shoot anybody that gets in his way, and and it's just it's it's tough to. Um, wrap your head around uh, when that and that eye thing you, you said that's just one thing that absolutely wow it, it it blows your mind you know there's a moment in the in the film where he says i got a bum eye so you can't tell if i'm asleep or not so yeah because yeah. yeah, you know that 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 inhibits them on on the running away thing you know like we we can't just run away because he may be awake and he's messing with us kind of thing um yeah. But uh, but uh, but they end up uh, the, the the men end up picking him up um, on the premise of him being out of gas and they pick him up and they find out immediately that he is not a nice guy and he holds him at uh, at gunpoint and so uh, he he wants them to drive five hundred miles in into into Mexico which you know this. This uh, little fishing trip uh, that they were taking became something much darker, really fast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, but what do you think about uh, how how Emmett Myers, the killer uh, hitchhiker, he depends 
so much on the radio news for, uh, to give him direction. And, um, and I, I don't want to give away too much, but we find that that ends up, he ends up being to his detriment a little bit. And he actually ends up getting and himself um, a little tangled because he uh, was the basically they, they it was a chess game is essentially what it was don't you think? Yes, yes, I I, I totally agree. Yeah, um, yeah, and he does Myers does depend on the radio, and again we have to put ourselves back into that time and for where they were that's the only means of communication you're going to get unless you stop and talk to somebody, which is not what he wanted to do. And, and he even makes certain demands when they do stop. You know, everybody has to speak English and, and this thing and that. Uh, and I don't want to get into too many spoilers, but the radio is the only thing that Emmett Myers trusts. He, he certainly doesn't trust these two guys. Right. Uh, and, and what he's got going on, I think the most fascinating part, or one of the most fascinating parts of this film, is how different these two guys are. And when Myers confronts him, you've got... Gil Bowen, who's played by Frank Lovejoy, who mm -hmm. is more level-headed than um, Roy Collins, played Absolutely. by Brian. And, you know, he talks about himself a little bit because Gil is a, a draftsman. He's, he's a white-collar worker. He's used to getting orders from other people, and he's a very detailed person. So if someone tells him to do something, he knows that that needs to be done exactly to specifications. Roy, on the other hand, is uh, he owns his own garage. He makes his own rules. Uh, he knows when it's time to do something, that it's time to do something, it's time to take action. So these guys are, even though they're friends, they're very, very different. And Gil responds to Myers and his demands pretty much with acquiescence. He doesn't like it, but he knows he has to do it. Roy is always looking for a way to trip up Myers. And the things, and, and again, we don't want to get into too much because it's spoiler territory, but uh, Roy changes throughout this movie in a way that Gil doesn't. And there's right. a really, really interesting relationship between Myers and uh, and Roy as the film develops. Uh, it gets really, really dark, <laughs> really, really dark. But you make a good point about Myers and how, how awful he is and how... Um, how twisted he is and he I, I think a lot of this is talking not only about these two guys these three guys in a car but it also is very much reflective of the post-war consciousness of america because you've got myers really berating these guys saying you guys are soft you're part of the system you've believed everything the system has told you and i'm not like that i take what i want if i want it i go get it and he says you guys are not like that you're too soft so it's kind of a, a, a commentary on American masculinity and Very good. so much other things. While while it is a thriller and a film noir. No, no, and you, 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 that's an excellent idea. I excellent thought you just said uh, there are all there are three different, totally different types of men here. Then and uh, there are there are dynamics that you know you know you've got uh, uh, you, you've got. Of Frank Lovejoy, uh, who is like sitting there, uh, going, "Hey, let's do what he says, and when we can make a move, we can make a move." But let's just do what he says, and 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 then you got Evan O'Brien, who's who's saying, oh, "You know what? I can't, I can't handle this. I, I can't handle this being told what to do stuff." Um, and he flies off the handle, and he it, it, there's a scene in there. Again, we're not spoiling too much, but. But there is a, a scene where he absolutely loses it, um, yelling at an airplane as if the airplane can can hear him um, and say, you know, you know, come and come down for him, and it's it's amazing. And and we have the we even have a little bit of of uh, Emmett Myers, the killer. Uh, he he has about a about a two minute uh, conversation uh, with them, or where he's telling them. You're, he's kind of getting you into his head as to why he is the way he is. You know, like his parents basically dumped on him, and and they they didn't care about any anything he had to say, and so he's decided he's just not going to count on any men for anything. He only can count on himself, and um, and and so you get a little 
a little tiny bit. You, you don't feel sorry for him, but you at least get into his head and figure out why he does the things that he does. And a matter of fact, I, I'm, uh, he uses rhetoric and a gun constantly uh, to scare the, the both of them. And, um, and, and then, and yeah, and in Roy's case, he's quite a bit more, uh, more scared. Matter of fact, I have the game, the movie on silent on my screen right now. And, and he, oh, uses, okay. he uses more than a gun and, and, and his, and his, you know, foul mouth, uh, to, the, to scare them. Um, there's a point in time where he looks as if he's going to run over them with their, with their car. And uh, and that was also a really terrifying moment. It's actually more terrifying to watch it silently while I'm talking to you than it was to watch it with the with the sound on. I was like, uh, "Whoa!" I remember this part. I don't remember it being that scary, you know, because you see the looks on their faces and they're just absolutely yeah. horrified, thinking that he's going to run over them. And they and that's the problem with the with this their situation. They don't know when he's going to, you know, dispose of them or or if yeah. Yeah. they they have yeah. that small glimmer of hope that 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 the, the the authorities won't find out where where he is and and they're hoping that 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 will keep them uh, alive and maybe get them free but but it's a uh, it, it's a, just a glimmer of hope for them and they're very they're very concerned but um you know, I don't want to give away too much of of the the plot or uh, the, the the happenings of the film. I'm trying to stay on the periphery for the most part, but hopefully, we've created something where where people will will have their um, you know their their appetite a little wet for 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 this film because I, I'm going to tell you the truth. I watched it for the first time four weeks ago, um, four Thursdays ago. For the very first time, and I and I watched it at um, at a screening here locally. We show uh, they show uh, classic films. They were only showing pre-code films, um, but <laughs> the lady who said, the lady who runs the thing said, we are running out of pre-code films that are going to cost that are going to cost us very little money to show. So we're going to show more classic films in general now. And I saw this, which of course is a public domain film and i i said this is a podcast episode this is i want to tell yeah. people about this movie uh because i couldn't believe it escaped me for uh, 51 years and um, yeah. and i i i had to i had to um uh, shout it out about the 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 movie i this is to me um i would call it short of double indemnity but not that short of double indemnity it's it's really um it's really fantastic, um, and and the, the 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 ability to try to you know try to figure out what's going on in the, in the three men's heads. We really only know one that's level-headed out of the three, and um, and it's so um, so riveting riveting to watch. Uh, but uh, I've got some more things to go back to on the film um, in a few minutes. But uh, um, I wanted to mention I Lupino. We talked about um, uh, about about Eddie Muller and his um, and his uh, introduction of the, of this film a few years ago. Um, and uh, let's see, I Lupino had over 105 or had 105 acting credits to her name and 42 directing credits. A lot of those are TV shows, um, but that's a big resume. And um, and we talked about her being the only legitimate, uh, the only legitimate female director of, of her time, and um, uh, she also did. I think you mentioned um, Outrage, uh, and she also did uh, the the Bigamist, uh, which also featured Ed O'Brien, and uh, that was the first film uh, directed by a female that uh, that she also starred in. Which is amazing. As a matter of fact, I just heard Leonard Malton on a podcast the other day saying, "I have no idea how 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 actors can direct the films that they're acting in." I it's such a it's such an odd concept. It's it's like hitting you know it's like hitting you know left handed when you're right handed. 
inning, you know. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. it's got to be a challenge. It's gotta yeah, be. it has to be. Uh, but uh, um, the uh, oh, and she also did another favorite of mine, uh, which sometime I'm going to do a podcast episode of Haley Mills after Disney, and she did the Trouble with Angels, which was mm-hmm. um, um, it, it, I'm not going to call it a risque film uh, because it's not really that risque, but it, it, it shows two teenagers that are going a little crazy and it's such a that's a such a fun film and I definitely will recommend that too but it is nothing like this one uh, but um, um, but anything else you'd like to add on Ida Lupino? Uh I do have one thing but before we do that I want to I want to I, I know you very much appreciate your local theater that shows these movies and that's that's fantastic and I would I would encourage everybody listening to support your local, especially your local independent theaters, especially those that are showing classic films. If you've got that, gosh, keep that alive. And and don't forget also the libraries, colleges that are showing films too, museums, support those organizations. They need your support because we want these things to be, you know, in a theater is where films were made to be shown, you know, but so we want, we want to support that. And we but could back to Lupino. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, and we can bring a friend again now too. You know, we, yeah, we yeah. <laughs> you don't have to socially distance uh, like like before. We can actually, yeah, right, you, right. you know, Andy, you're so right. Uh, I I in the last year have been able to watch uh, uh, several. I, I was very fortunate. My my children, um, I brought them up on Laurel and Hardy and the Marx Brothers, and uh, we were very fortunate to. Um, I, I watched, uh, uh, I was able to watch, uh, uh, what did I see? I saw Duck Soup with my daughter. We rewatched that together and, and I was able to watch Animal Crackers, uh, at a showing, uh, at a library and, uh, yeah, library show them, um, you know, and I don't have, uh, the details of everybody's city, uh, uh, everywhere in America. And actually I have listeners, uh, all over the world in Poland, uh, I think the per- there's a person in Poland that I think always clicks on my podcast first. I don't know how that happens, but it happens because I look at the 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 uh, uh, the stats and I am how who in Poland cares about about this? But they do obviously. Um, but yeah, I just I think you're so right. You need to go out there and support whoever you know. Google. Uh, classic film events near me or something, so you can yes. um, so you you can be a part of uh, of the deal. Most big cities are going to have something uh, there, you know, yeah. for you. Uh, but uh, true, true. yeah, and if you bring also, a friend, I, I was just going to say uh, what you just mentioned about bringing a friend is great because the great thing about movies is if you're seeing it with somebody else, you can have a discussion afterwards. Yes. And that's that's the most important part to me when I do these these showings and even the virtual ones. And I, I have several of those recorded. So if anybody wanted to check out like what our movie discussions are like, uh, they could go. If it's OK for me to plug my YouTube channel, uh, which is Journeys in Darkness and Light. I do talk a lot about film noir, but but you will also see a lot of conversations that we have had through the years. Like, OK, we just watched this movie. Let's talk about it. What do you think? And it's wonderful. And, and one of the things you mentioned earlier is we, we frequently have people that will say, you know, this isn't a film I would have sought out on my own, but I'm so glad I saw it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's just, it's a, yeah. It's oh, a, but I, I didn't, I didn't answer your idol Lupino question. Oh, Sorry sure. Yeah. That. I get excited when we talk about seeing movies <laughs> as a community. <laughs> I do too. So, Yeah. So you were very, uh, very much on target about Lupino and, and the great career she had. She did a lot of television, as you, as you mentioned. As far as I know, she's the only person who directed and starred in a Twilight Zone episode. Uh, they weren't the same episode, but she acted in one and she directed one. So she did. Her TV work really doesn't get the, the amount of attention that it should. But actually, let me grab a book mm-hmm. uh, real quick, if I may, called Ida Lupino, Director, Her Art and Resilience in Times of Transition by Therese Grisham and Julie Grossman. 
And this book does spend quite a bit of time on her television work, so I would I would highly recommend that to people. But I also wanted to let people know that Lupino actually had other film noir projects that never materialized um, because the filmmakers ultimately uh, couldn't survive, and RKO is is the is Lupino became connected to RKO because she. They just didn't have the money to, to fulfill her vision like she wanted to. But she had planned uh, a movie called I Bought a Gun, mm -hmm. which is about how a handgun in a home can damage a family. And uh, we can, without getting into the politics of that, we can say, wow, uh, that was certainly ahead of its time. Mm -hmm. There was another one called Something for Nothing, which was going to be a trio of gambling stories. Another called The Story of a, a Murder which was going to dwell on the scientific approach to why people kill. And then another film that was planned was called Firebug, about an arsonist. So those are four films that never got made that she had plans for. So she had a lot of things in the pipeline that, unfortunately, we never we never got to see. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and let's talk a little bit about the actors. Uh, uh, Edmund O'Brien, uh, he... Uh, he, he 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 just uh, first uh, off he he won an Oscar a few years later uh, or, or excuse me eleven years later uh, for Seven Days in May but won Best Supporting Actor uh, was also uh, you mentioned the the Barefoot Contessa and White Heat and the Girl Can't Help It the Man Who Shot Liberty Valance and the Wild Bunch that's some list it is <laughs> yeah yeah excellent actor uh, excellent actor and. Um, what did you think of his, uh, we kind of already talked a, a little bit about his character, but, um, you know, I, I think his performance is, is, is fantastic as uh, kind of the wild card of the, of the three. Um, what do you think? I think so, too. I, I'm a big fan of Edmund O'Brien, yeah. and this is a film where he gets to do a lot of different things. There's, there's a hint, and again, this isn't really spoiler territory because it happens really early in the film, but it seems that these two guys are obviously on this fishing trip, but the Edmund O'Brien character seems also to want to do a little playing around. Um, right. Because he wants to go to this cantina and see this dancer that he saw several years ago, even though this guy's married. And uh, Gil doesn't really want to have anything to he do. He said, oh, she's so, probably dead now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So she's probably dead. Yeah. But so there's a little bit of uh, shady stuff going on with with uh, Roy and Edmund O'Brien is really good at that. I mean he he typically plays the everyman in a lot of his films because we you know everybody can identify with Edmund O'Brien. He's like you know the guy that lives down the street. He's he's your buddy. You go bowling with this guy. But he as we mentioned earlier, he gets darker as this film develops and. I think I think the great thing about Edmund O'Brien is he can show us that maybe we all have something a little bit dark inside of all of us, and if it was provoked, it might come to the surface like it does with his character. He's he's got such a wide range, and I think he really shows it in this film. Yeah, he he does he does. Uh, we kind of described uh, a, another movie, uh, a couple movie characters that a movie, a modern movie that I I covered recently, uh, Sideways. If you ever seen Sideways, you know, those two were doing the same thing. They're one, all he wanted to do was go drink wine and play golf, and the other one wanted to fool around. And and right, I, right. I just, uh, he's like, I'll I'll be there for the for the for the fishing, but I I, I got stuff I want to do at night too. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I think that's funny. That's funny how things times some in some ways times change, but some things change the same. Um, yeah, and the Frank Lovejoy, uh, not as uh, prolific of a film actor, but he uh, he was uh, in um, Goodbye Family with uh, Goodbye My Family with Tom, Joan Crawford, uh, Strategic Air Command with James Stewart. Those are big names, uh, but he was more of a radio star, as I understand. Mm -hmm. He had several radio shows that, uh, which radio was humongous still in the early fifties, and um, and it was still like. Uh, my dad didn't have a television until the 60s, so there were a lot of people still tied to the radio uh, all the way through the 50s. They were still showing, or still uh, uh, playing um, 
you know dramatic shows on the radio and and that was a big that was a big uh, uh medium at, at at the time people don't think of it that way now but um is the case uh what what do you think about his performance we kind of talked about how he's you know very level-headed and doesn't seem to change a whole lot uh, and in a lot of ways he's he's more mature uh than than the other two men but uh what do you think about his performance i think it's the one that tends to get overlooked because everybody remembers william talman right. uh, probably everybody yeah i can forget that right uh most people also remember um Edmund O'Brien, but but Lovejoy, his character is so, he's very patient, he's not going to take any risks, but there are a couple of scenes where he really, really stands out, and, and again, I don't want to get into too much spoiler territory, but uh, when Myers takes them to this Mexican, basically just a Mexican mom and pop grocery store, and they're trying to get supplies, food and supplies for the trip, and there's a little girl that comes up, and yes. she's talking to Frank Myers, and Lovejoy's character basically just scoops her up and is trying to get her out of danger, and he says, vaya con Dios to her, and you can tell, because we know that his character from earlier in the film, he has a wife and a daughter at home, so when he sees this little girl, you know he's thinking about his daughter, and he wants to do everything to protect her, and that... that transpires into wanting to protect this little girl. And you can see mm -hmm. the uh, um, immense concern in, in Lovejoy's character. He does that so well. There's another scene which in, involves um, shooting a can that I'm not going to describe, but you can <laughs> see Lovejoy, uh, there's, a, there's an element of his character that comes through so well there as well. So uh, the character he's playing here is a much quieter, he's definitely the most quiet character in the film. But he also contains the strength. This character contains the strength that the other two don't have. And once you once you see the film a couple of times, you start to realize just how strong of a character he is. Yeah. And Lovejoy does a fine job in, in making that happen. Yeah, ab absolutely, absolutely good assessment. Um, and then of course you got the William Tallman. Uh, Tallman, uh, he is uh, uh, just absolutely bang up incredible. Um, you know, in this, uh, he, he, he give, you know, like I said, he gave the insight on, on why he is the way he is. Um, he previously, uh, was in armored car robbery in 1950, um, was three years earlier where he made, I love that one. yeah, that's another one I you see. I don't know how I mixed that one either. Uh, but, um, he really made a name for himself there evidently. Um, you know, of course he's best known for being Perry Mason's. Um, constantly losing a opponent, um, like uh, like Eddie Muller said, he has the worst record as a DA. <laughs> Absolutely. Why? How did this guy keep his job? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he uh, was he was uh, fantastic in this role, but he unfortunately um, had a rough time at the end of his life. He was. Uh, only 53 when he passed away, uh, which all three of these men di died relatively young. Um, but uh, the but he was uh, he had lung cancer, and, and I seem to um, I, I'm trying to remember if I if I ever saw his anti-smoking campaign because I feel like I had, but maybe I had. Uh, but he had an anti-smoking campaign, and he said. You know, he wishes that he hadn't smoked, um, and uh, and he you know he died of lung cancer, and uh, such yeah. a sad story. And and there could have been so much more he could have done. He probably would have turned into, uh, uh, a, you know, a character actor and been able to be in a lot of things uh, later in life. But we didn't have that chance. Uh, uh, but I thought he was fantastic. Uh, I particularly the eye thing and the way he is standing holding a gun. He's terrifying. And he doesn't mind yelling for effect and screaming for effect and 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 he doesn't always he he know he keeps his tone of voice uh at a low level mode for the most part, but he doesn't mind yelling and that's mm -hmm. something that is can you know like I've told people before if you have a football coach that all he ever does is yell and cuss um eventually it's just like oh he always does that 
But if somebody <laughs> is very violent in his tone, um, and normally he's like even keel, you got to pay attention because he he means business. Uh, what do you Absolutely. think of his performance? Just terrific. You know, you look at that film and you think, who else could have done as good a job as William Tallman did in this? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just incredible, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Armored Car Robbery. That's that's a great one. Uh, I love that one. He did so many movies where, you know, maybe he didn't get as much screen time as he did in The Hitchhiker, but all of his movies are worth checking out. One that I like a lot is called Crash Out from 1955, and it's a uh, prison escape film. Yeah. And I love I love prison escape films, but Me that too. one's got. Uh, yeah, they are so much fun. This one's got a great cast. It's got William Tallman, William Bendix, Arthur Kennedy, uh, Luther uh, Luther Adler, Gene Evans. I mean, it is really, really good. And it's got my 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 favorite weasel in all of film noir, Percy Helton. Oh yeah, <laughs> weasel. I like it. I like it. Oh, it's, that's a good one. But yeah, any anything that Tallman's in, uh, City That Never Sleeps, is a good one. Yeah. But, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's terrific. Yeah, and um, and I don't I, I don't want to keep it too long time wise, but you know just to mention a couple of the actors, uh, uh, Jean Duval, uh is is a big time character actor that was also in it, uh, and we got uh, 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 Clark Howell, uh, Howell Howell I don't know how to say his name. Uh, both of them had over 150 credits and. Uh, uh, Sam Hayes, the radio announcer, Jose uh-huh. Torve played Captain Alvarado, and they and then those guys were just like I said playing a chess game with with um, um, Emmett Myers. They were really trying to uh, figure out his uh, where he'd be heading next, and um, and they were trying to they were trying to get in his head, and they were trying and he was trying to get in you know find out where they where they thought he was going and. And so it was all just a chess game, uh, but um, I, I like too how Lupino depicts the uh, the Mexican police authorities, and and one thing she doesn't do is she doesn't use subtitles, so we don't really know unless we know Spanish what they're saying. I think but that was a great move on her part too. Yeah, I do too. I, I and and they're not shown as like bumbling or anything. I mean, they know their jobs, they know what they're doing, they're smart, they're capable, and that just wasn't something that was shown much during that time and sadly not even during our own time no it, it's true it's true i i and and they used um i i, I mean i'm i'm i know spanish fairly well so they use fairly simple words uh so um it's i don't imagine everybody's going to know everything about it but but you know these fairly simple words and, and i think it was a good call to to not use the subtitles uh, um you know you you know they're, they're the tone of voice say what they what they're saying um exactly um, just a few more things if i if i might keep you for just a few more minutes andy uh the flow, sure. uh the flow of the film i i love that it's 71 minutes um and it, the the film could have i think if this were made today it would be a two hour and 11 minute movie i i, I um it, it's so it's so refreshing when you see a movie that that's that's just lean and you know, you don't have any fat, and um, I suppose if there were um, the, now, this is one thing uh, that steps on my notes from the later in the page. Uh, but one thing that um, it doesn't have is it doesn't have a femme fatale, which do, which does not make it unique, but it, but it does make it very different than most noirs. Uh, uh, there's no femme fatale in this movie, and uh, and. And I think if there were a femme fatale, that would have stretched the movie out another 15 to 25 minutes. Uh, but there is none. And, um, you know, what do you think of the flow of the film and how... And it, do you like it the way it is? Or do you, would it, could it have been longer? Or? Well, I like what you said, though. It's a 71-minute film. It, it moves right along. There's no, there's no uh, fat on it. There's nothing unnecessary at all in the film it's 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 what you need to get the story going the amount of tension is just right the amount of resolution is just right um it, it's really very well put together and 
I think a part of that is the great cinematography by Nicholas Misraka. Bam, my next point. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, only the next point. Segway. And and also the you know the the subtle things like you've got you've got this big expansive desert, but yet these three guys are trapped inside this confined space in the car, and and the tension with that is just it's like okay freedom's just just out the door if we right. can get out, uh, but but they can't. So there's there's so many so many good things going on in this film that it's kind of like you're holding your breath for 71 minutes, and I don't think we could have held it much longer. No, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, it's, I think you're absolutely right. And yeah, the the screenplay was uh, uh, written by Ayla Lupino herself and uh, her um, <laughs> ex-husband at the time, uh, Collier Young. That's true. Yeah, and right. it's amazing they were able to work together uh, without um, um, wanting to choke each other or something. <laughs> um, I don't know how exes do that with each other, but the they were able to put together a really good screenplay. And again, with no fat, you know, um, everything that's said in this movie has a, has a meaning, I think. Yeah. Um, um, and the cinematography, um, one of the things that I love about the, the cinematography is, is that there are long shots of the desert and you, you see uh, just how, like, you know, like you said, it's, it's so expansive. Uh, there's so much out there, but yet we're here. And we can't go where we want, um, but also the close-ups of of um, uh, they have some really great close-ups of Edmund O'Brien and certainly uh, uh, William Talman. They have uh, several close-ups where he just absolutely just just is terrifying. And uh, you know, I think this movie um, somewhat borders on on horror film. You know, I think it's. Uh, somewhat borders on, uh, you know, say, to compare it to a more modern film, uh, like Misery in front of, with, you know, Kathy Bates, um, you know, where, uh, she, you know, you don't know what she's going to do next kind of thing. Um, and that's, I think it's a little bit like that. Um, and uh, let's see. Oh, uh, and then the fact that it's not set in the city is also different for, for noir. Uh, it's not the set in the city, and most of it takes place during the day. Um, so, uh, tell me why you think this qualifies as a noir, uh, because it has several elements that would say it's not noir, and and in, including the fact that the characters, uh, the the two the two guys uh, are, um, you know, really not bad guys. But uh, but why why do you think this qualifies as noir? I think the primary reason for me is that noir typically takes people, ordinary people, who are in situations that they can't control, and and maybe not even their fault. I mean, we see that a lot in uh, in film noir. You know, somebody's trying to um, get enough money to feed his family, and they get involved with something that's that's underhanded. I think of um, Thieves Highway with Richard Conte. Mm -hmm. um, Films like that where, where, you know, somebody's just trying to do the right thing and they get involved with something that they can't handle. Uh, so that's part of it. I think part of it, too, is post-war angst. And we're looking at these two guys. I believe both of them, both of these characters served in the military. I know Gil did. And they're coming back. And, and Eddie Muller talks about this a lot. You know, we, we went to World War II. We won. And we expected everything to be great when all the servicemen got back. And it wasn't always. There were still challenges. There were still a lot of things that weren't good. And we thought, hey, we went to war for this. Why isn't this better? And that feeling of, of dread, of, um, you know, a lot, a lot of depression was involved. Some of that involves PTSD. But just kind of the, the, the fact that, look, you can't win. No matter what you do, you can't win. Mm -hmm. So I think that that makes this a part of film noir, and that the um, the tension and uh, so many of the other things. Even though it is set in daytime, I mean there are a lot of great daytime noirs like um, uh, the oh, the 3D movie with Robert Ryan and um, Rhonda Fleming. Inferno, I think, is the name. Mm -hmm. um, um, 
a kiss before dying. A lot of that's shot during the daytime. So there are several daytime noirs, but um, I, I think those are the things that make it noir for me. Yeah, it's a it's always so interesting to talk to people that are uh, huge noir fans, and and uh, sometimes uh, people get a little prickly when you call something noir that's not a noir. And, that's true. Uh, yeah, and and like I've heard people try to call Casablanca noir. No, it's not. <laughs> no, no, it's not, not really. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, but uh, one more thing uh, before you go, I, I the the music in this um, uh, sometimes it's um, not present at all. But uh, but there are times where it just comes in with full force, and uh, and the 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 man who did the music for this uh, 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 Lee Stevens. Uh, he has a long career, but not a lot of really huge uh, films. And it, and it's a, I feel like it's kind of a shame because the guy really knew how to uh, command a scene, you know, with a, with a, with his music. Yeah, he does a really good job in this. And like you said, he doesn't have a lot of movies that are, that are, like jump off the page as being uh, something that you would remember. I think he does a good job with this. For me, I think the theme of the, uh, it's kind of the Emmett Myers theme is, is used a little bit too much for me, but I, he, he had, like you said, he had a long career. Uh, probably the film that people will remember best is the war of the worlds from 1953. Mm. Um, and he did other things that were kind of science fiction related, like when worlds collide, destination moon, things like that. But he did other things that were uh, noir-related, uh, The Garment Jungle from 57, The Scarlet Hour, even though those are films that don't get a lot of um, a lot of press. The Wild One is also a, a very, very important film that he, that he did. So yeah, he's not, um, you know, he wasn't really the John Williams of his age, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, Lee did a, um, did a fine job with a lot of, Lee Stevens did a lot of great work but it doesn't tend to be things that people remember like themes and, and, and that type of thing yeah and well andy i want to say thank you very much for coming on here i um i also want to mention one more thing uh that that there is a um uh i'm not getting paid to promote this but but there is a you you've talked about the the um ilapino uh book uh there's also a box set uh, with uh, a lot of stuff that she was involved with uh, that's available, I, I, I think, through uh, uh, Kena Lorber. Uh, they they uh, have a box set, and uh, I have not purchased it. I just found it yesterday while I was doing some research, and I thought, oh, well, that'd be pretty good to to, to have on hand, uh, you know, and, and be able to see, you know, most of the big things that she was involved with. Uh, but yeah. Um, yeah, but as an actress, as a director, um, you know, just uh, what an amazing, uh, what an amazing time uh, time we she must have had uh, being the only female director. It's a it's yes. absolutely amazing. Um, well, Andy, uh, tell us again about your YouTube channel and wh where else we can find you. Sure, uh, my YouTube channel is called Journeys in Darkness and Light, mm -hmm. and you can just. Put that in there and i can david i can send you a link to it uh so you can find me there i'm on twitter i'm on letterboxd and although this doesn't specifically have to do with movies i'm also the writer of a book called men don't read yeah. which actually men men do read but it talks about my um, experiences with the book club i've had at the library called the guys book club but most of the same things that that you'll find in this book and some of the techniques of the ways that I got a bunch of guys together to talk about books also translates to movies, uh, how I got my movie club started, uh, although that's not specifically in the book, but the same type of things apply for that, um, getting people together to watch movies that were made 70 years ago. Uh, why, why do we watch this, these movies? What, what is there to say to us today? Why, do, why are we still watching Casablanca? Why are we still watching The Hitchhiker? You know what what it is about that and and building community through both of those things book clubs movies uh, it's just getting people together and talking about these things and enjoying them absolutely and that's exactly why i do this podcast is why i invite people like 
like you on here because um, you know it, it's so obvious that you're uh, a, a champion for uh, for classic film and and um, and I consider anyone that's a champion for classic film to be a friend. I've got uh, all kinds of, um, uh, of, of people that I've talked with, uh, and it's just so great to. Uh, sometimes I, I I told my daughter. Sometimes I go in the outside world. And I forget that not everybody is so connected to classic film like I am, and and I gotta actually like <laughs> talk about something else for a minute, like oh no, okay, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Did you see the latest latest Marvel movie? Uh, no, no, not 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 yet, not yet. I haven't seen it. And yeah, let me know when it's sixty years old. I'll watch it. Right. <laughs> I haven't seen the latest Marvel movie, but I've seen The Hitchhiker, or I've seen Sunset Boulevard, and you should see those. Yeah, I, I think um, I think the average year that I, I probably, uh, and I watch movies of every generation, including today, but I think the average year, some were pre released probably around 1960, uh, probably right about that. Uh, but I watch a lot of silent movies, and, uh, and I watch some current movies because... Um, uh, I'm made to sometimes, <laughs> but, but, you know, if you want that communal experience and sometimes you can see, uh, when you well, go to a movie today, you can sit, you can see, uh, the things that they picked up from past directors and, uh, right. you, you can, right. you can kind of sometimes still see that there's still glimmers, um, and still flashes of, of, um, old Hollywood, but, uh, Wendy, I, I, uh, I know you got to go, so I really appreciate you coming on here, and I want to, I want to go ahead and, uh, reach through my, my, uh, screen and shake your hand and ask you to Same appear, <laughs> and, and ask you to appear again, uh, sometime, and I, sometime less than two years, uh, because I really would like to, I, I literally, I'm not kidding, I'm pretty sure I've had your, had your website, um, uh, set up on in on a, in a window, uh, you know. I have all these windows open, uh, so so I can remember. That I want to talk about that on a podcast, and then sometimes I get to them right away, and sometimes I don't get to them right away. It's it's just um, you know. And honestly, honestly, I try to jumble it up a little bit, uh, and I don't try to concentrate on any one subject for very long. And so, if I got five people that want to talk to me about silent movies in a row. Um, I try to space it out, so sometimes I wait a little while to talk to them. But anyway, um, thanks, Andy. I will let you uh, get back to what you need to do and uh, um, and keep being a champion for those uh, classic films. What do, you, what do you say? Yeah, well, thank you, David. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. I've had a great time. Uh, this is, I, you know, if I had more time and if we both did, we could keep going and going. But uh, this has been a lot of fun.